For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn. Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group will be your guide for straight talk and honest answers about living the life you deserve in retirement. So So prepare prepare to to be empowered. Now, here are your Show Me The Money hosts, Jake Floyd and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Good morning and welcome to Show Me The Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name's Jeff Shade and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. Jake, good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks for asking. You're certainly welcome, my friend. I hope everybody else is doing well today too. All excited for the Thanksgiving holiday. Jake, it is just around the corner and we're going to dive headlong into the holiday season here. I can hardly wait for that. But anyway, let's get to what's happening in the news today, Jake. And I got some encouraging news. I saw a headline that says that inflation cooled to 3.2% in October. Why does that matter? Why is that important? And is that all that we should consider about this statement? Yeah, so um, obviously CPI is a relative inflation measurement, right? Obviously inflation's been high for the last couple of years here, and that reading is the lowest since I believe May of 21. And so I think that there's a little bit of a psychological barrier at 4%, where if we get under 4%, which is, this is the first time since May of 21 that that's happened, that starts to get the market a little bit excited about inflation coming down. Now we need to be a little bit careful because there's not a lot of room between 4% and negative, right? And right. so sometimes too much cure can be bad for the person taking it. Meaning if we keep interest rates high while inflation is falling, we risk overdoing it a little bit. If we end up in a deflationary cycle, the Fed will be forced to cut rates and kind of try to prop things back up again. I think that's why a lot of people are kind of calling for maybe we need to rein the Fed in or maybe we want to just get rid of the Fed altogether. I think that might be a little extreme, but you know, having the Fed always with its finger on the scales of Lady Justice, right, seems to maybe be counterproductive most of the time. There are times where it's necessary, but it seems like we're always pushing it one direction or the other when maybe we should just keep our hands to ourselves. And Jake, I want you to take a victory lap because as I recall, it wasn't that long ago that you were predicting this would happen. Yeah. And so I think inflation's been coming down almost in a straight line since uh, the middle of last year. The last two or three weeks, you know, we've been talking about on the show that we thought there was a pretty good rally coming and we've started to see that rally come out. I think the last two and a half weeks or so, the market's up about 7% or so. We really think there could be some more room to run. There's too much negativity out there, as we've said, and that is fuel potentially for the market if things start to go right. So the CPI number coming down is one of about six or seven facets that the market is focused on. So when we look at, say, the S&P 500, for example, if, if the S&P 500 is 4,500, you know, how do we arrive at that number? That number is derived through trading from, you know, investment banks to hedge funds to mom and pop people just trading, but it's based on some factor of overall revenue or profit or both. If we think about that, and so that means that the current presidency plus the war situation plus the current inflation outlook plus the current sentiment of markets you factor all that in, you come up with 4,500 as the number it should go to, which means if you have a significant change in one of those numbers, like corporate earnings, for example, that means that the market has to kind of rapidly reprice 
what it thinks the appropriate level is. So if we get a different president, uh, even if it looks like we're going to start to get a different president in January during the Iowa caucuses and that kind of thing, the market is going to be forced to start to price that in. And I think right now it's pricing in four more years of Biden and corporate earnings being stagnant and record debt. However, I think that there's a lot of room for that repricing to happen where, and I know Trump's kind of a controversial figure, anybody on the right gets in, they're going to assume tax cuts, which equals more profit for corporations, which means the market will go up a lot. Mm -hmm. But certainly if Trump gets in, everybody knows what Trump's about. Everybody knows what he's going to do. And the market will absolutely soar if he gets the nomination in January 15th. I think that it's important to understand how big a deal this election is. I don't think I'm I think I'm preaching to the choir with the people right. listening to this show. I think everybody's pounding the table saying, yes, it's definitely an important election. I would argue it may be the most important election in our nation's history. We cannot have another four years of Biden. If we have anybody else, I think there's a lot of this that's fixable. Get out there and vote for sure. And I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic on the market. And if you've been listening to the show for the last two or three years, you'll know that that hasn't been my mantra in the last mm -hmm. 24 months or so. We're probably as positive on the market as we've been in two years. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of room for upside if a few things go right. So the one thing the market doesn't like, Jake, of course, is uncertainty. So 3.2% as the uh, CPI is reported here, inflation in the month of October seems to be pretty good news. How is this different than the traditional Santa rally that we hear about? Or is it the same thing? Yeah, so the Santa rally really just kind of capitalizes on seasonality and the fact that everybody gets excited about holiday spending and what it means for profits and retail stores and things like that. This is going to be more driven by negativity turning to positivity. You know, inflation's starting to come down. And while I think there's been a lot more inflation than people have reported, I do think it is coming down as we see jobs start to get filled or people stop looking for as many workers. That's also going to put downward pressure on inflation. So I think that there's a lot of reasons, again, to be positive. But as far as it relates to the Santa rally, these are kind of two different things. The Santa rally may exacerbate this rally, meaning if it's already rallying and then there's more reason to be positive, there's more reason to have people buying and chasing the market, have hedge funds flipping from negative to positive. You know, it could get out of hand to the upside. You know, I think it could go quite a bit further than most people are imagining right now. If it does that, then obviously once we get up real high, then we'll have to kind of take a look around and see if it's a fair valuation or not. Right now, I think the miss is to the upside, barring World War III. Well, certainly we don't want something like that. We're talking with Jake Floyd here at Floyd Financial Group. We're talking about current events and 3.2% inflation reported for the month of October. All of this sounds like pretty good news, Jake, but I'm seeing a headline here that says one of Wall Street's biggest bears says a huge crash is coming as markets are in the biggest credit bubble in history. He says bursting that bubble could burn down the whole forest. What's your reaction to such diametrically opposed statements like this? I don't disagree with that statement. Um, and that's why who's president and who is leading the free world is going to matter a lot when that happens. So credit is obviously at all time highs. Interest that people are paying on that credit is also at all time highs. But people's wages are also at all time highs. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think there's there's a path with the right leadership tax cuts and some other things that happen, overall productivity increase and prosperity in the nation, where we can sidestep the landmine a little bit. Because the credit bubble is only a problem if people get to the point where they can't pay for it. Basically, that's going to come down to how deep a recession we have, if we have a recession in general. 
that remains to be seen a little bit. I still think the market can rally quite a lot before all that comes to a head. You know, that's kind of a medium term concern. In the short term, again, my concern is I don't want to miss what's going on, you know, because it's already been pretty good. It's likely to continue for this foreseeable future as long as we don't get any more bad news that's unforeseen. So, Jake, what we talked about here to my thinking is basically positive news. So let's circle back around to how our listeners can digest this and what it really means to them. What should our listeners really take from this conversation? So I think it's a good time to kind of reassess your risk tolerance as an investor. You know, if you're doing this yourself or if you have money in a 401k, you know, really assess what you're comfortable risking. Go ahead and put money to work accordingly, because I think we don't know how many more bites at the apple we're going to get before this thing kind of really blasts off here. Again, I think you need to be prudent. You need to understand your risk tolerance. If you don't have somebody to help you do that, that's something we can do here. Be invested. The people that get left behind are the people that are uninvested. And even if that just means a CD or a money market account for you, that's okay because those things are paying good money. However, if we look back at history, anytime we've had higher inflation and good fixed interest rates, it still was outperformed by quite a lot uh, in the stock market. We just need to make sure we keep a level head and stay invested if you're already invested. But also, if you have a lot of cash, you might want to think about putting some of that to work with, again, within your risk tolerance and suitability constraints. And I've heard the time of the market is much more important than timing the market. And I think the takeaway here, as you said, is to simply stay in invested. The market goes up and down. You just got to wait for it to get to the point where it makes sense for you to pull the trigger. We're talking with Jake Floyd here at Floyd Financial Group. And of course, we're here for you every Saturday morning for your fiscal fitness and your financial education. If you're interested in what we've had to talk about today and you want to sit down with Jake and see how this conversation applies to you and your journey towards retirement, then we suggest you request your no cost, no obligation, no judgment Floyd Financial Group Retirement Review. You can get it this morning by calling 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233. Now, when you call, you will get a friendly voice, more than likely Ashley Nether in the line, who will gather some basic information from you, then set you up with a conversation with Jake or Randy to create that path towards a successful retirement. Now, remember, it's not going to cost you a dime. That number, once again, 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233. Or you can request your complimentary consultation online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Jake, it's time for a break here. We'll be right back with more of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for another helping of some more real money talk? Thought so. Now, here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your hosts, Jake Floyd and Jeff Shade. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd. In this segment, we're going to continue talking about stock market valuation and how exactly that is derived. And Jake, in the first part of the program here, you talked about this has been one of the most interesting presidential election cycles that we've had in our lifetime. I can't remember actually looking back at history when anything like this has happened. So I want to really talk about how this upcoming presidential election in this race is really going to affect the markets. I talked to another financial advisor, I'm going to say four or five years ago, who said, well, the president really doesn't affect the markets. But I think that really couldn't be further from the truth. 
especially coming off of a presidency like the one that's in office right now, um, I think it's very hard to overstate how important this is. In the last segment, we talked about how adding up, you know, who's president, tax rates, plus inflation, plus corporate earnings, plus the war situation, right? The entirety of what's going on in the economy and the worldwide stage basically adds up to what the current stock market valuation is. So that means that, you know, if we have a situation like we had this week where inflation came down and and came in lower than expected, that means the market has to price that in because that's better news than we thought. If we change the president, that affects pretty much all of those categories. And so let's talk specifically about the corporate earnings, for example. So I think this is the easiest way to see it. So if we have a president that gets in there and takes corporate tax rate from 21 back to 15, where Trump mm-hmm. had it, right? that's a 28.5% tax cut. So when we have a 28.5% tax cut, that's actually a 40% increase in corporate earnings because we're not paying that number in taxes. So if you add up what it would have been earnings-wise before that tax cut and after, it's a 40% increase. So if a stock is worth some multiple of what it earns in a year, let's say I have a company that's $100 a share and it earns $5 per share per year net profit, then that would be a 20 times multiple, right? So five goes into 100 20 times, so 20x multiple. If I have a company like that and I simply add 40% more profit, that means that stock is now all of a sudden potentially somewhere between 25 and 40% undervalued in a day. You know, now the market obviously has to price in the likelihood that that tax cut sticks and how long it sticks and all that kind of thing. In the very short term, you could have a 20% offsides repricing. The market could be very undervalued seemingly overnight and everybody would have to play catch up. And again, that's one of these seven or eight facets that we're looking at, that the president, uh, certainly a Trump presidency with a Mike Johnson speakership has a lot of the left trembling in their boots because they know that Mike Johnson will put on the House floor whatever it is that Mr. Trump wants on the House floor. And it's been a while since we've had cooperation like that on the Republican side. There's a lot that could get done. And again, regardless of what, how you feel about Trump, uh, I'm not saying he's the greatest human being ever in existence. I'm just simply saying we know what Trump would do a little bit more than we know what DeSantis would do from a tax policy or even like Vivek right. or RFK Jr. So I'm just using Trump as an example here. That certainty of knowing what he's going to do the market, again, will not wait until he actually gets elected. If he gets the nomination, the market will start pricing that in almost immediately. And that may happen as early as January 15th, 16th, 17th. If that happens, because I think there's a lot of people still thinking that they are somehow going to block Trump from running. You know, they're going to say, well, he's you know, he's been indicted, so he can't run for president. Uh, I'm unaware of anywhere in the Constitution that it says that. Right. Um, right or wrong, and whether we like it or not, I think that people are going to see that uh, that is not going to happen. If he or or anybody else looks like they're going to get in office, all these things have to shift, and they have to shift almost overnight with that news. And so we could have volatility. Most of the time when we think of volatility, we think the market is going down, right? But we could have some pretty quite a bit of volatility to the upside, and it will not be a smooth ride, but I do think some of that rapid repricing could be violently to the upside. And so we just want to make sure that we are positioned again in a, an appropriate risk tolerance stance, a suitability stance, meaning what's suitable for you. 
If you don't know what that is, that's part of the process that we do when you come in for your free consultation is we evaluate that and help you understand risk tolerance, risk capacity. Randy talked some about that last week. You know, you need to take a good look at that and then you need to make sure that you're invested accordingly, you know, up to that risk tolerance. We want to make sure we're in there because I think this is going to be one of those really hated rallies where people, mm-hmm. you know, the market's going up. People are like, the world's in shambles. How is it going up? And it's just because people are so off sides here with several things on the horizon that could change uh, almost overnight. Again, I think barring World War III, that's the only thing that may not be priced in at this level in the market, in my opinion. You know, short of that, I think the market's going to continue to churn higher. And if our listeners do have questions about their risk tolerance, again, we invite you to call 417-889-7233. Get in and sit down with Randy or Jake and discuss that. Again, that number, 417-889-7233. As you said, Jake, with uh, Trump as the nominee, if he is the nominee, we pretty much know what we're going to get there. You call this, and is this a technical term, a rip your face off rally, or did you just come up with that one? No, so I, I can't take credit for that. Um, although it is one of my one of my very favorite terms for uh, one of those rallies. Um, yeah, I don't remember who said that first, but it was probably some one of the guys on CNBC like 15 years ago. Yeah, I remember somebody saying that a rip your face off rally. I was like, that sounds that sounds like the kind of rally that I'm that I'm ready for as long as I'm invested for it, right? Well, if Trump is not the nominee, and let's say that it is another Republican candidate, as you said, we know what we're going to get with Donald Trump. But if it is another Republican candidate, do you think that there's still going to be a rally? And I, I know nobody really knows, but what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, in theory, all the time that has been spent on the debate stage between DeSantis, Vivek, Nikki Haley, and even in some respects, the talk around uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., I think that a lot of these these candidates likely would benefit the economy in various ways. You know, RFK Jr., maybe not as much as, as the other ones that I mentioned, but we don't really know what their plan is from an economic standpoint because they've been so focused on foreign policy and anti-wokeness or lack thereof. Everybody's so focused on Donald Trump. I think it's it's just funny to me when I watch these debates and all they talk about is Trump. It's like, man, you're just playing right into his hand. You know, again, love him or hate him, this is going exactly the way he wants it to go. Yeah. Um, I mean, in every possible way, he hasn't had to say anything. And they're all saying it for him. All the attention's on him. You know, I I think that it's likely that the other candidates would also cut taxes and smooth and grease the wheels of interaction between other countries and create more commerce. I think most of the Republican candidates also would figure out a path to peace. It's kind of interesting how the Democratic Party has become the war party over the Hmm. last couple of decades. You know, back in the 90s and early 2000s, it was the the Republicans that were a little bit more pro-spending on defense and things like that. But defense spending has never been higher ever. Yeah, we're spending this exorbitant amount of money and not really doing a whole lot with it. But in any case, I do think, like you said, Jeff, that these other candidates also would bring some kind of rally. But because we're uncertain about that, the market is going to be more tentative. So I think, yes, a lesser rally, but not like the rally we would get with a with a Trump re-election likely. Well, I read an article recently, or at least I saw the headline of an article recently, Jake, that talked about President Biden being a little unsteady on his feet there on uh, Veterans Day the laying of the wreath and so forth. And 
You know, what would happen if there were another Democratic candidate, if it was deemed that President Biden just was not physically fit enough to continue with the presidency? Would there still be this sort of rally that there is if a Republican candidate gets in there, if the Democrats replace Joe Biden? And again, I know you don't know the answer on this, but what is your opinion? In reality, I'm not sure that any of the other potential candidates is any different. It's kind of like, hey, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Mm-hmm. Somebody is pulling the strings behind Biden, and I think that same someone would be pulling the strings behind Newsom or Michelle Obama as well. Okay. So I don't know that that matters maybe as much as it seems like it does, except that I think that Biden is easily beatable. I'd like to think that Newsom would also be easily beatable given his track record in oh, California yeah. turning mm-hmm turning some of the best real estate on earth um, into a wasteland. Although they did clean that up for President Xi. I don't know if you saw that. I but, did um, see that, yeah. Yeah they, yeah, they went through and put barriers up and cleaned the whole street up uh, just, just so Xi could take a joyride, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, um, when, when, when Xi goes back, do you think it'll, you know, they take the barriers down and the next day it's the way it was before? Yeah, I think there is a point, Jeff, where um, even the left will get sick of living in dilapidation and having to be afraid for their lives and their possessions when they go to the grocery store. You know, I think everybody does have a limit. I just think that uh, some people's limit is is higher than others. But again, imagine a president who went in and cleaned up San Francisco. How much drag is the lack of business in San Francisco, one of the wealthiest places on earth, and certainly in our nation, where people are maybe not spending money there, churning right. the the economy the way they should be, because they don't feel safe enough to leave their houses. That's just another place where I think things could miss to the upside, and that could add, you know, one, two, three percent to GDP if it gets cleaned up. It's all these little incremental things that, that can add up to a pretty big difference at the end of the day, if if things go right. You're listening to Jake Floyd, Floyd Financial Group. My name is Jeff Shade. Glad you could join us here for Show Me the Money. Once again, if you've got questions about your situation, we invite you to call us and request your complimentary retirement review with Jake or Randy there at Floyd Financial Group. Just a friendly conversation that'll cover a wide range of topics based on your individual situation so that you can proactively adjust your financial plan to address your retirement journey and any blind spots that we might find that might hinder you from reaching your goal. Again, there's no cost. There is no obligation for this review. Why wouldn't you want to do this before the end of the year? Now, I know that the calendar is filling up here a little bit, but there are still spots. So we invite you to call 417-889-7233 and reserve yours today. Again, 417-889-7233. It's totally complimentary. It's not going to cost you a dime. This one call could make all the difference. You can also request your complimentary plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, Jake. We'll be right back and continue with Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good, because it's time for more Show Me the Money with your financial Sherpa, Jake Floyd. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd, and in this segment, we're going to be talking about the 4% rule. Does it still apply, and how does it affect your retirement? And Jake, the 4% withdrawal rate in retirement can be a place to start, but one planner calls it simple, but it also could be dangerous. So let's start out by defining what the 4% rule really is. Yeah, so the 4% rule says that basically take how much money that you have accumulated and saved for retirement and take 4% annually out of that amount 
and you should be safe to not run out of money during your lifetime. That's the basic idea behind the 4% rule. I don't like rules in general. This is really, as you said, it's just sort of a jumping off point. I mean, 4% is what William Bangan came up with years and years ago. But when you do retirement plans, I mean, you don't just shoot for the 4% rule, do you? And say, hey, this is what it's going to be. How do you determine what the proper withdrawal rate really should be? Yeah, so there's obviously a lot of factors at play here. Um, simply doing the 4% rule is a massive uh, oversimplification. The vast majority of people can probably take even more than that without risking running out of money. But there's so many things to take into consideration, like risk tolerance, how much risk you have in your portfolio in general. If you have a diversified, well-rounded portfolio that has some protections in place, you may be able to take five or five and a half percent without running out of money. But if you have all your money invested in one stock, let's say, a 4% rule may be too much. And so it is a good benchmark, but it is an oversimplification to be sure. Okay. So when you take a look at what assets someone has and you begin to figure that they've got a retirement that, let's say, I don't know, is going to be 30 years. I mean, how do you realistically take a look at this and go, okay, it should be 3%, it should be 4%, it should be 5%. And again, is this just a set it and forget it withdrawal rate? I mean, how does it vary over a period of time? Yeah, so if you're taking 4% out and you can make even 3% over the long haul, you're probably not going to run out of money. The biggest issue that you run into is if you have a big drawdown. Let's say we have a 2008 scenario and you lose half the money. Now, instead of taking 4%, you're taking 8%, right? Because you have half as much money. The potential for a big drawdown is really where the 4% rule kind of falls apart. And we need to be paying more attention to it than that. We also need to be making sure that in retirement, we're being honest with ourselves about risk tolerance. We're not trying to be too macho and pounding our chest. You need to be honest with yourself and really understand what your risk tolerance is, your risk capacity, which you know the difference between those two is Risk tolerance is how much risk you're comfortable with. Risk capacity is how much can you really afford to take in your situation. Again, a 4% rule can make sense for a lot of people, but it but it is an oversimplification. We really need to be paying attention to several other things when determining exactly how much money to take out. Again, a lot of people can be okay even with 5% if they have proper protections in their portfolio where they're not going to take a 50% loss at some point. That's, again, one of the things that we can talk about when you come in for your consultation is how do we put protections in place so that we don't risk running out of money, stabilize the portfolio so that we have less chance of big drawdowns. And again, that telephone number 417-889-7233. If you have questions about your withdrawal rate, we're talking about the 4% withdrawal rate here at Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. Jake, when you do these plans, I would imagine that the withdrawal rate would depend upon how long you run these plans out for as well. Typically, when you do a plan, do you run it out to 70, 80, 90? How far do you run these things out realistically? I like to run things out to 90 or 95 for most people. If I have somebody that I know has, like you, Jeff, that has relatives that are living well into their hundreds, I will obviously take that into account. But usually 90 to 95 is kind of where we want to make sure that we're good through. But honestly, if, if we're not drawing the portfolio down at 95, that means we're not going to be drawing it down at 100 or 105 either, right? Another thing that you have to kind of take into account is like, how much deferral time do you have? So let's say you're going to retire in five 
five years, right? We can take 4% of the number that you have in five years, not the 4% that you have now. Again, just having a good conversation about, uh, about how all this works, I think is important. And again, based on overall risk tolerance and things like that, that's going to play into the success here probably more than just the 4% rule itself. There's also ways to guarantee much more than that. You know, if you are one of those people who says, hey, you know, my kids are good. They have good jobs. I'm not interested necessarily in leaving them an inheritance unless it's just left over. I want to live my life while I'm here. And if there's something left over, my kids get it. If you're one of those people, there are ways to guarantee returns for income purposes where you could get upwards of 6% or maybe even higher. In many cases, those don't make sense, but sometimes they do. We personally like to have a lot of flexibility in a portfolio. Anytime we start reaching for guarantees or guaranteed lifetime income, we take options off the table doing that. So we may get the max income, but we don't have a lot of flexibility with that money after we set that up. There's a lot of different ways to uh, skin the cat, as Randy likes to say, mm-hmm. uh, although we still have never skinned a cat. So, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. no, no, nobody out there send us hate mail. Okay. <laughs> Hold on, Peter. <laughs> we're not, this is but, not, um, we're not literally doing this. It's just a Southern expression. Exactly. And so I think there's a lot of ways to to do that. And everybody's situation is so different that I don't like to give blanket advice out over the radio and say, hey, this is what you should do, because it's it really depends. I know we say that a lot on the show is it depends, but it really does depend uh, on the situation on the individual. Jake, is it common to simply live off your investments? What I mean by that is, can you realistically get income to, uh, you know, keep the roof over your head and the four walls, you know, the way that they need to be food in the table? Can you realistically make that income from the return on your investments without touching the principal? Yeah, so I have quite a few clients that are doing just that. It really comes down to how much you have saved more than it does how the investment performs as far as whether you're going to be spending into principal. You know, if you have saved a lot of money and you don't need a large percentage, you know, if you only need three or 4%, then yes, it's totally plausible to be able to live off of the interest. You know, if you need five or 6%, you're probably going to be dipping into principal at some point, especially if you have a cost of living adjustment factored in. Inflation, I don't think is going to be five or 6% looking forward. But even if it's 2% over a 20-year period, starts to add up to quite a bit of inflation. And so we need to make sure you're ready to tackle that and have some extra buying power socked away. So even if we start at 4% income, but we adjust it up 2% per year for inflation, you know that number gets, gets big faster than you might think. It's really about how much you have saved that's going to determine whether or not you can live just off the interest. Jake, let's say that I'm 65 years of age and I come to you and we're doing my financial plan. And of course, we don't want to run out of money before we run out of time. And I expect to have a lifespan of 95, but we're doing the plan. And at 4%, it looks like we're going to run out of money at age 80, but I can't live on less than 4%. I mean, have you ever had that situation where there's just not enough money? What sort of things can be done today to prevent that from happening if that's the case? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're at retirement age and you're ready to retire and you don't have enough, it's kind of either you work a little longer or you live on a little less. You also need to understand that most people don't really know how much money they need in retirement. You know, if you're making $100,000 a year between you and your spouse working, you probably don't need a full $100,000 worth of income in retirement simply because you're not funding a 401k, you're not funding Social Security, you're not funding FICA anymore. You know, understanding how much you actually need is kind of the first step to understanding whether you have enough. 
you know, budgeting is a little bit of a scary word. A lot of times we'll just look at what take-home pay is and adjust it up a little bit for Medicare into, into retirement. And then we can infer a little bit about how much it actually takes you to live when you're in a little bit lower tax bracket and you're not funding all these retirement and Medicare and Social Security. So I think that's probably the biggest thing to look at is really get a good picture of what you're spending and then look at what you're going to need to have come in. And you can understand whether you're going to have enough or not. We usually discover that people are better off than they think they are when they come in to see us. So you threw out the figure there of 100 grand, Jake. And I mean, if you were making 100 grand, working and you were getting by okay is it safe to say that in retirement you may need 80 grand or 90 grand i mean how close to 100 grand do you need to be good in retirement again uh, i don't like to give the the blanket advice over the radio here but i would say that somewhere between 70 and 90 in that situation is probably the right number you know a lot of people once they retire around here they still have you know a farm that they run so they're right. they're retired air quotes right <laughs> But they may yeah. <laughs> run 20, 20, 30, 40 head of cattle, right? And so that obviously shifts the picture as far as what they need versus what they have now. There's a lot of factors, but I would say that as a rule, 70 to 90% uh, is usually enough to make it feel roughly like it does now for you. Do you find that people do a little trial run with retirement and we say, okay, I can live on 75% of what I was making, but a year into retirement, you're finding, wow, I need 85%. I mean, this is really not a set it and forget it type thing, is it? No, I mean, again, it is something that that's why we have 90 day reviews is we kind of come up with a plan and we say, okay, let's start the income here. And sometimes in the first month, people are like, yeah, this isn't going to be enough. Or, yeah, this is this is way more than I need. And so that's why we want to get together every 90 days or so after we implement the plan, just to make sure we're monitoring things and understanding, okay, how much money are we spending? If we're not spending all the retirement money that you're being sent as income, maybe we should dial it back so we're not just paying taxes for no reason on income that you're not spending. But conversely, if you're not getting enough, we need to know that too. We need to you know, help work that number up to where it needs to be for you. But these are all discussions that we have ongoingly uh, once we have a relationship with the client. If our listeners have questions about how much money they're going to need in retirement, you want to get in and sit down with Randy and Jake and begin this conversation, do the calculations. Again, we're offering you a no cost, no obligation, no judgment, Floyd Financial Group Retirement Review. You can get it by calling 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233. Remember, this consultation is not going to cost you a dime. It's just a casual conversation between you and Randy and Jake to sort of get a litmus test, uh, take the temperature on where you are and where you'd like to be and design a plan that'll get you there successfully. Once again, no cost for this. I invite you to call here 417-889-7233. You can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. You're listening to Show Me the Money with Jake Floyd. My name is Jeff Shade. And remember, if you've missed any part of our program, we're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcasts and search for Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd. You'll find this show and all of our past shows so that you can stay on top of your wealth and your journey towards retirement. Time for a break, Jake. We'll be right back with more of Show Me the Money right after this here on 104.1 KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more straight talk and honest answers with Jake Floyd and Jeff Shade. 
Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd, and in this last segment, we're going to be talking about when to file Social Security. We may challenge some of the quote-unquote conventional wisdom behind this decision. <laughs> and Jake, now that's a question that you probably very rarely get there at Floyd Financial Group, right? People don't want to know about filing for Social Security. Pretty much every meeting I have, we say the word Social Security, and I'd say at least 80% of the time. But yeah, yeah, I think think Social Security is kind of an interesting topic because everybody wants there to be one right way to do it. I would say the longer time goes on and the more uncertain the future of Social Security gets – the less clear it is when we should file. You know, if you listen to all the CFPs of the world out there, they all tell you, you know, you need to wait until you're 70 in every circumstance, pretty much. I could not disagree with more. I think that it is a a person-by-person basis. But what I want to talk about specifically today is the notion that waiting is just inherently better. A lot of the calculations you hear people talk about is, let's say, okay, instead of taking it at 70, I take it at 67. Let's say my full retirement age is 67. Mm -hmm. So if you run the math on that, how it works, there's an 8% simple interest that gets added in the meantime, that three-year wait period. But you're also not receiving those payments from 67 to 70. So if you work the calculation, it takes until you're about 81 or 82 years old to break even, meaning because you didn't take that three years of payments, in order for the payments to recoup that money you otherwise would have taken, you'll have to be 81 or 82 years old. Now, here's the issue with that, is that does not assume any rate of interest at all Mm -hmm. on the three years of payments that you received. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow everybody's mind here a little bit. What if we invested that money, Yeah. took it earlier, got a decent rate of return on it? You could make the argument that it never makes sense to wait in that scenario. As we are thinking about Social Security, there are a lot of things to consider. And I'm not saying that it never, it never makes sense to take it later. I'm just simply saying that the simple math of I get more by waiting is a massive oversimplification of the problem and really does not tell the whole story, especially when we start looking at the fact that Congress may start cutting Social Security benefits. If we have a 20% cut across the board, almost with a lot of certainty that will happen on people that are not yet taking Social Security, right? right? And they'll probably do it retroactively where they'll say, you know, as of May of 21, if you were filing, yours doesn't change. But anybody that filed after that changes. There's an added piece of this where if you have already filed, there's a chance that you may be grandfathered in and not have your Social Security benefits cut the way that people filing after have cut. The government does a lot of that grandfathering. Now, again, that's total speculation on my part. Right. But it is the way that Congress tends to look at problems because they don't like to upset voters, right? They don't want to have the little old ladies that have been on Social Security for 20 years and they have $1,100 a month Social Security, and that's all they have. They don't want to cut them to 900 a month and have them dying in their houses, right? That doesn't look good on the, uh, on the, no. uh, the, old, the old voter registration form, right? And again, I'm not in any way putting the, that lightly. I, I, I have talked to lots of little old ladies that are one income, Social Security only, and it right. would be devastating for them right. to have it cut. So they have to figure out a way to not do that, and I think they will. But the other part of this is it may be means-tested as well. Maybe they say, you know, hey, we're going to cut benefits, but only on people that have 500000 or more in the bank. Huh. So there's some more potential things to think about there. But I guess all I'm saying is I challenge the status quo of simply waiting is always better. 
Yeah, there are many different ways to take Social Security. There are many different computations. I think uh, Randy once said there are over 200 different ways to take Social Security. It's a matter of drilling down to the right method for you. So to that end, Jake, with all these different choices that you have, 62, full retirement age, age 70, et cetera, et cetera, how do you go about figuring what is the correct age for you to take Social Security? I think a lot of that, Jeff, has to do with how central Social Security is to your overall income plan. A lot of people choose to delay Social Security, but in the meantime, they're already retired, and so they spend their money down because they have to take more income because they're waiting for Social Security than they would have otherwise. I kind of reject that notion. I prefer that people be in control of their own money, so I would rather spend Social Security's money and not pull so hard on your retirement savings because that puts more control in the client's hands. If I if I get to pick, that's that's kind of how I like it to go. If you are actually retired and you're not planning to go back to work, it's very hard to make the case that you don't want to turn on Social Security yet, unless you just simply don't need the money. If you have a big pension that more than covers your bills, that's one thing. But for most people, let's say you retire at 63 years old, you know, you don't have to file at 62 or 67 or 70. You can file anywhere in between and get partial credit and all that kind of thing. But if you retire on your 63rd birthday, you're retired, you're going to stay retired, meaning you're not going to go back to work because there are limits on how much you can make before you have to pay back Social Security if you file before your full retirement age. So throwing that out for a moment, let's assume we're going to retire, we're going to stay retired. I think it's very hard to make the case to not turn on Social Security at that point, simply because it's better for your options long-term and better for your portfolio to use Social Security to shoulder some of that burden so that you're not simply pulling all that money out of your retirement savings. Okay, so let's use as the example, age 63, as you said, you're not going back to work. You could take it at 63 because the earnings cap doesn't apply to you. But let's say I'm 63, I'm not going to work, but I do have all of this other income coming in from things such as rental properties. Maybe uh, I've got some uh, stock that there are dividends. You know, I've got some income coming in, but I'm not going to work with a W-2 job. Does that affect your ability to avoid that earnings cap? Yeah, so you can have all the passive income in the world. It just can't be wages, right? Okay. Wages or 1099 work. If, if it's investment income, you can have all the money you want coming in that way. And it does not affect paying back Social Security. All that being said, I do have clients that are still working at 70. There are a few situations where it makes sense where if you're still working and you really don't need the money, you might as well let Social Security roll up so that you are able to have, have that as a backstop later in life and you don't need the money anyway. So there are some situations where it makes sense to wait. Not very many people are working at their main job at you know in their, in their career past 70 years old. You know, a lot of people, especially in today's world, are retiring younger and younger. You know, I have 52 and 53 year old retirees. But I'd say the vast majority of people are retiring between 62 and 64, which is still a little bit early. And so one of the main considerations we have there is health insurance. Right. And so health insurance, if you're on the exchange, is affected by income, including your passive income, meaning how much it costs depends on how much money you make, which is another just awful thing that Obama brought us. But uh, that's neither here nor there. I think 
that's another major consideration for most people that retire. In fact, there's probably, you know, five or 10 million Americans that would retire tomorrow if the health insurance problem was fixed. But it's so cost prohibitive right now that it's keeping people working past when they would like to retire. We're talking with Jake Floyd, Floyd Financial Group, and we're talking about social security decisions that you need to make. Jake, how do the spousal benefits play into this conversation? Yeah, so um, you can file on your spouse's Social Security. You know, again, there's a, there's about a million ways that that could be applied. But a lot of times the male Social Security is higher than the female Social Security. That's not always the case, but around here I see that a lot. But a spouse can file at full retirement age. If both of you are full retirement age, the spouse will get 50%. Uh, is entitled to at least 50% of their spouse's income. So if you've been a homemaker or haven't worked or just didn't make as much money, that can definitely be a consideration. You can also file before full retirement age. It's just at a lesser percentage that you're entitled to. There's also things like widow's benefits uh, that that get taken into consideration, divorce. there's, There's considerations there. These are all considerations that we look through on a daily basis. And so if this is a conversation that you would like to talk more about how it affects your your investments, how much and when should you take your Social Security, how much you're investing versus how much you're, you know, what, what your risk tolerance is, as we talked about earlier. These are things that you want to talk about. That's what we do here on a daily basis. And we, we have a free consultation. You can come in and sit down and have a discussion with us about you know, your portfolio and how, how that's going to affect you in retirement, when you should file Social Security, all those things. You know, We're happy to sit down and talk with you and have a good discussion about it. We're, you don't need to bring your checkbook. We're not going to ask you to sign up for anything. We just want to get to know you and be able to understand your situation so we can offer good advice. And again, that consultation is totally complimentary. Number 417-889-7233. One final question, Jake, before we get to what I call the call to action, or that is letting people know how they can get in touch with you. I know that you have a social security optimization program. You can run that. A lot of financial advisors have that. And it goes through all of these different computations as to when you should take social security. But before you do that, do you pretty much know basically when someone should take social security with just a few basic facts? Yes, Jeff. Usually we don't base that decision solely off of math, right? There's there's other considerations out there. For example, you know, somebody might say, hey, you know, I have this much saved for retirement, but I would like to accelerate most of the income I'm going to receive to the next 10 years so I can really go out, enjoy life while I'm still able to health-wise. You know, if you retire at 65, when's the next best 10 years of your life going to be? The next 10 years, right? And so maybe you've worked hard all your life and you haven't really seen much of this great country that we live in and you want to get an RV and tour the country. And again, that's not for everybody, but that's just one example. Sometimes we have people that want to accelerate income. So that obviously doesn't make sense to wait on Social Security if I'm trying to get as much income now as I can. It's usually the optimization software is totally predicated on when you're going to die, what your life expectancy is. Yeah. You and I may not make it to the parking lot. Right. I know. (laughs) I know. And so you just don't know what a day will bring. And I have seen it in here where somebody worked hard. They worked till they're 65. They retire. And two months later, they're gone. Mm Mm-hmm. And so you just don't know what a day will bring. So it's dangerous to say, hey, based on the next 20 years, what's likely to happen, I'm going to wait to file Social Security. I mean, that's taken a lot of things for granted. Now, again, it doesn't mean we ignore that calculation, but there are many more factors to consider than just the raw math. 
If our listeners, Jake, would like to get in and sit down with you and talk about when they should take Social Security and potentially avoid a mistake that could cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars, once again, we invite you to call 417-889-7233. Just sit down with Jake and Randy and talk about your individual situation. Come up with a plan that's right for you as to when to take Social Security. There are also a lot of other aspects in your retirement journey that you can talk about as well. Once again, no cost and there's no obligation for this complimentary consultation. All you've got to do is call 417-889-7233. You can do it this weekend if you want. Leave your information. Ashley will give you a call back on Monday and set up a time that's convenient for you. Once again, that number is 417-889-7233. You can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. Well, Jake, we just get started and then we're out of time. So for Jake Floyd, I'm Jeff Shade. Thank you so much for listening to us here. We appreciate your company each and every Saturday morning. And be sure to join us again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. The information provided in the preceding program is for educational purposes only and are not intended as investment advice for any individual or entity. All information contained herein believed to be from reliable sources, however, we make no representations as to its completeness or accuracy. The opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and do not constitute financial, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your financial professional before executing any financial strategy. Financial planning offered through Floyd Financial Group, LLC, an investment advisor registered in the state of Missouri.